certainly good to see everyone out tonight, especially those of you who are visiting. We appreciate your presence. It's very encouraging to us. And before I go much further, I'm going to turn my mic on. I don't move, I don't move from right here a whole lot, so I'm usually safe. So I'm going to begin with a question for you tonight. But before I ask you that question, I'm going to answer it for myself. No. No, I, I sure don't. So your question is, do you pray enough? It, first of all, is that really possible? Can we pray enough? No, we can't. Can we pray more? Absolutely, we can pray more. And I, I, I'm sure that if each of us were being honest, we would answer, no, I sure don't. So, tonight's lesson is going to be about prayer. Very common subject. Hear it a lot in sermons. But perhaps the source of our study this evening is a not so common one. We're going to go back. <clears throat> we're going to go back in time to the period of the judges. The scriptures are going to do a lot of my sermon tonight. So I and I'm going to do more than invite. I'm going to encourage you to follow along with me. I used to hear back in the old days, preacher might say, I want to hear those pages turning. Well, I, pages turning are nice, or fingers tapping, that's nice. But I encourage you to follow along with me. We will, we will read a good bit from the book of Judges uh, as, um, as our study text this evening. So the period of the Judges was roughly 400 years, and it covered the time roughly from when the children of Israel had settled in the land of Canaan after Joshua's death up to the birth of Samuel. It was that period prior to the kings, of course. It is the story of one continuous cycle of apostasy followed by repentance. When the Israelites turned from the Lord, their enemies would prevail. In fact, two times, and here's our first passage, two times in the book, the, the times of, of the judges are summed up like this. Judges 17 and verse 6. Judges 17 and verse 6. I'll mostly be using the New American Standard Bible this evening. We... And I meant to say earlier, one of the reasons I'm going to encourage you is I don't have the scriptures on the screen for you to follow along there. So follow along with me the best way you can. Judges 17 and verse 6, we're told that in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that exact uh, text is repeated in the very last verse of Judges as almost like a stamp of, stamp of emphasis. In those days, this is chapter 21 and verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
So we'll go back now to Judges 1 and start kind of fleshing out our thoughts for this evening. So Judges 1 tells us in some detail about how the Israelites fared in the carrying out God's command that they utterly destroy the inhabitants of Canaan. Now the tribes of Judah and Simeon fought together and did pretty well, but the end of the chapter tells us that many of the other tribes failed in their efforts and for the most part chose to dwell among the Canaanites. This, step, this set the stage, <clears throat> of course, for the fulfillment of God's warning in Exodus 34. Let's, so let's go back a little further in time to Exodus chapter 34, and we'll begin in verse 12. Exodus 34, and in verse 12, the Lord said, Be careful that you do not make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather, you are to tear down their altars, and smash their memorial stones, and cut down their asherim. For you shall not worship any other god, because the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they would prostitute themselves with their gods, and sacrifice to their gods, and someone might invite you to eat of his sacrifice. And you might take some of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters might prostitute themselves with their gods, and cause your sons also to prostitute themselves with their gods. The warning was repeated through time. Don't marry these people drive them out of the land, they will lead you away from me. <clears throat> in chapter 2, we're going to go back to Judges now. And in chapter 2, it, it builds on this historical account of the nation after the death of Joshua. God repeats his warning and pronounces judgment on the nation. Judges 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Judges 2, beginning in verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into, into the land which I have sworn to your fathers, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall not make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall, you shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me. Which, what is this thing you have done? Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out from among you, for they will become like thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. So here we see that cycle of apostasy and repentance beginning as we continue the reading in chapter 2, skipping down to verse 7. Judges 2 and in verse 7. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of, of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gesh. 
all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and another generation rose up after them who did not know the Lord, nor even the work which he had done for Israel. That's very sad. And it's no wonder we read some of the things that we do in Judges. But there's a bright spot. There always is in Scripture. You may have to look forward a little harder in some places than others. Maybe this is one of those. Continuing the reading in verse 11. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, so they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he handed them over to plunderers, and they plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them, so that they could no longer stand against their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken and just as he had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed. And here we start learning a little bit more about the judges. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them from the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they committed infidelity with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do the same as their fathers, and when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who tormented and oppressed them. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their obstinate ways. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he said, because this nation has violated my covenant which I com commanded their fathers and has not listened to my voice, I in turn will no longer drive out from them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly, and he did not hand them over to Joshua. Not a whole lot of prayer going on yet. We're going to get there. In all, the book of Judges mentions 12 leaders who were appointed judge over Israel. Othniel, Ehud, maybe some of our young people could quote these. I think I could at one time, not anymore. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tola, Jer, Jephthah, Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, and Samson. So we're going to focus the rest of our attention on the life of Samson. Again, our young people, we learn and we marvel at the stories from his life, from our youth in Bible classes. And probably the one that we remember the most is his 
great strength, physical strength. Then there are the stories about his killing a lion with his bare hands, catching, this is my favorite, catching 300 foxes and, or jackals, tying their tails together with a torch and turning them loose in the grain fields of the Philistines. Killing a thousand of those men, the Philistine men, with the jawbone of a donkey. He pulled the gates of Gaza up out of the ground, carried them up on top of a mountain. And we know of Samson's ultimate demise and the weakness that he had with his wife Delilah. He allowed her to shave his head and he was captured by the Philistines and made a slave in prison. So in all of these grand stories, in all these grand stories surrounding his life, I think it's easy to miss a key component of Samson's life. So to kind of build on that idea, I want to go back and review a little bit about the special circumstances regarding Samson's birth. And we'll turn to Judges 13 to get that information. Judges 13. <clears throat> so in Judges 13, we learn that Israel had once again, as we were reading earlier, had departed from serving the Lord, and he had handed them back over to the Philistines for a period of 40 years. And we'll pick up the reading in Judges chapter 13 and in verse 2. And there was a man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was infertile and had not given birth to any children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are infertile and have not given birth, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. And now be careful not to drink wine or strong drink nor eat any unclean thing, for behold, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he will begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So this shows us that Samson had a purpose from birth to serve God and to serve his people. And through his life, we see multiple occasions of his attacks on the Philistines. In fact, we see that pretty early in his life. Uh, going over to Judges chapter 14, we'll read a little bit more. Judges 14, beginning in verse 1. Then Samson went, Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines, so he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So now get her for me as a wife. But his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you may go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Yet Samson said to his father, Get her for me, because she is right for me. However, his father and mother did not know that this was of the Lord. 
for he, the Lord, was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. And at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. I mentioned the possibility of overlooking a key component of Samson's life. It's easy to miss in Judges, and that's his great faith. A cursory reading of his recorded life in Judges, it just, it just doesn't stand out to you. But we, we can surmise from some of these incredible stories how he must have trusted in the Lord. Who else would attack a thousand men of war armed only with the jawbone of a donkey unless he trusted in the Lord? You may be ahead of me. Hebrews 11 is what cements this for us. Hebrews 11. We'll turn over there and read just a little bit towards the end of that chapter. Hebrews chapter 11. We know it is that great chapter of faith. Sometimes our main focus is on those characters in the first part, like Abraham, Noah, Moses. Sometimes we don't make it to the end of the chapter where the closing verses read like this. It's almost, it's almost kind, of, kind of like an honorable mention but it's really more than that, as I think we'll see in the, in the very last verse that I'll read. So Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 32, the writer says, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me. I don't have enough ink to write about all these people of great faith. Time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson. Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed act of, acts of righteousness, <clears throat> obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking and flogging and further chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, people of whom the world was not worthy. That's the kind of man Samson was. So Hebrews tells us about the faith of Samson, and I think that his faith is on full display as his life comes to an end. So remember just a few, few minutes ago, we left him in prison as a slave in chapter 16. So let's read a little bit more there in Judges 16. Judges 16, verses 21 and 22. 16, 21, and 22. 
Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza and restrained him in bronze, restrained him with bronze chains and he chains, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. And then cont continuing the reading in uh, verse 23. Now the governors of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, for they said, Our God has handed Samson, our enemy, over to us. When the people saw him, they praised their God, Dagon, and they said, Our God has handed our enemy over to us, even the destroyer of our country who has killed many of us. It so happened when they were high in spirits that they said, Call for Samson, that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he entertained them. And they made him stand between the pillars. So remember Samson's purpose. His purpose is to deliver the children of Israel from the oppression and rule of the Philistines. Verse 26, Then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, Let me fill the pillars on which the house rests, so that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the governors of the Philistines were there. <clears throat> and about 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was entertaining them. The stage is set. Here we have all the governors of the Philistines, their temple of idolatrous worship, a house full of 3,000 men and women. And we read a little bit more. We see the faith of Samson through prayer. Then Samson called out to the Lord, verse 28. I'm reading from the New King James now. Judges 16, 28. And Samson called out to the Lord, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once. Just this once. And as we read further, we see that God answered the prayer of Samson. In verse 29, And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars <clears throat> which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once. So I finally made it back to the first of the sermon, prayer. And our question, why don't we pray enough? 
There's a list of reasons, I'm sure. It's not a priority. It's a lack of faith. We're just too busy. You might want to leave those off the list on the Day of Judgment. I think often we're too prosperous. Or let me, re- let me say that a different way. We being a prosperous people and raised to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps can work against us. We just try to fix too many things by ourselves. And too often, too often we can leave out the power of prayer. So as I, as I went over this study or this story and studied more about it, I, I I was thinking about the importance of prayer and, and, and admitting to myself that I, I don't pray enough. I focused on those three simple words, just this once. You know, prayer, prayer doesn't have to be complicated, doesn't have to be lengthy. If we would take the time, just a moment, to pray once here and there throughout life, what a difference it could make. What a difference it could make. So here, here's a case in point. So I obeyed the gospel when I was 13 years old. My grandmother and grandfather had passed away the prior two years and everything I had been taught growing up told me that their final eternity would not be in heaven. Even at 13 years old, that, that wore on me. I had trouble sleeping. I, <clears throat> I can still remember that. And, and I remember, like many of you do, when I made up my mind to obey the gospel. I know where I was. I was on County Road 63 in a 71 Chevy Stepside pickup with my dad. And after I had obeyed the gospel, I remember I I prayed, I just want a good night's sleep. And I did. Always remembered that. So I I started thinking about several, several key things along life's way. If we would just take the time to pray once. It's a simple list. It's really a simple idea. Remember to pray for strength just once. And I believe we will find it makes a difference. So these first few are directed mainly at our young people. Pray for strength just once when you're picking your friends. You've heard it many times. You'll continue to hear it. Evil companions corrupt good morals. And I promise you, if you listen and you employ that, one day you young men will be standing here preaching the same thing.
when you're dating. Don't give in to the lust of the flesh. Stay away from the opportunities to give in to it. A lot of verses I could put up here about alcohol. Don't be a stumbling block to others, especially when you're faced with making that choice. Maybe you've already faced that decision. If you haven't yet, I promise you, you will be faced with it, whether or not to partake in the drinking of alcohol. We all know, those of us who are married, we need to stop and pray for strength just once with our spouse from time to time. As Forrest Gump would say, that's all I'm going to say about that. It's plain. It's easy to understand. And I'm running out of time, so I'm trying to work my way through the list. Those of us who are parents, make sure we stop and pray for help when we're raising our children. Don't exasperate them, and I think that means what well, different versions will say discourage. Um, we, uh, it's quite a task that parents have to try and raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It doesn't happen by itself. It's work. If you're going to get it right, and despite the efforts of some, it doesn't always work. But it will never work if you, as a parent, don't work at it. If you just think it will happen, it won't. We need patience with our family from time to time. And in the broader scope, we, just, we need to remember to do good to all men. Galatians 6 and verse 10. Work, it's often mundane. Uh, our environment that we work in, many of us, is becoming more and more an unwholesome place to be. Yet we have the command to continue to provide for our families. It's way, way too easy to get too caught up. And hey, I, I'm right there with politics. Romans 13 tells us, plain and simply, to obey our laws if they are not in conflict with the laws of God. Are times tough politically? Have they been tough politically in the past? Will they be in the future? Yes. Romans 13 will read the same till the end of time. And lastly, with our brethren. You know, we had the series last year, the One Another series on our um, lectures. Be kind to one another. Be patient with one another. Prefer one another. Love one another. And the list goes on. 
there's times when we need to stop and pray for strength. Just once. A simple prayer for strength. So, as we kind of wrap it up here, we haven't talked about becoming a Christian or making public amends for some sinful behavior in your life. And maybe you're just this close to doing that. But something is holding you back. You should pray for strength just this once. Let's stand and sing.